0: So, if this is your first time with us or your first time in a while, like I said, we have been journeying through Acts, uh, and we started this mini-series, Faith Empowered. And as if you were here last week, you heard me mention, if you weren't, I'm bringing to bring you up to speed. Uh, when we are looking at this Faith Empowered, it takes us from basically chapter 3 through chapter 5. In the book of Acts. So, uh, for the next uh, about seven weeks, uh, we are going to be continuing uh, in Faith Empowered. We'll have one week in there where we will take a break, and that'll be on October 3rd when we have our 75th anniversary homecoming. And I'll mention more about that at the conclusion of our worship gathering this morning. But we are continuing the journey through this. We have seen last week in the opening week of this sermon series that this lame beggar is there at the beautiful gate. He's carried there daily. He's been lame since birth, 40 plus years of life. And he is there doing the same thing that he does every single day, asking of alms, asking for people to give to him. And then right there in that moment, Peter and John are going in at the appointed time, the ninth hour at three o'clock in the afternoon, to go and worship. And as they are entering the temple, they see this lame beggar. And the lame beggar is looking at Peter and John, as Peter says, to look at them. And instead of giving him money, he gives, them something, gives the man something so much more powerful and so much more life-changing And he tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say to you, get up and walk. And in that moment, the man stands. He's been healed, and he begins to praise God. So that's where we ended last week, and now we're continuing. Most people will include chapter 11 if they're preaching through that opening passage, but I decided to hold off for this week to give some context to tie into what we're doing today. But I've entitled the message today, Good News Proclaimed. Good News Proclaimed... And let's stand together and let's honor the reading of God's word as we read verses 11 through 26 and understand how the good news is proclaimed as Peter gives another sermon. Chapter 3, starting in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, this is the lame beggar that's been healed. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or pity we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. (coughs) Excuse me. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, now as your word is proclaimed, I pray that you would be the one proclaiming it, Lord. Lord, let this be nothing of myself. Lord, speak through me during this time. Lord, may we have ears to hear. Lord, that we would listen to the words that you proclaim right now. Lord, that we would not be distracted by anything. Sounds, our phones, thoughts of what is to come or what we've been going through. Lord, we just want to focus on you right now. Have your way in us, O God, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, in this passage from what I've just read to you, we are going to see how the gospel is good news. We're going to see how it calls sinners to repentance and how it is the fulfillment of the scriptures I pray that you're taking notes. And if you are, I want to go ahead and tell you the first point that you can write down is that the gospel is good news. Excuse me. The gospel is good news. In fact, the word gospel means good news. Look at verse 11 again. While he clung to Peter and John and all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. As I said a few minutes ago, this was purposely left off from last week so that we can understand what is happening here. In this moment, we read that he, cl- he clung to Peter and John. He has been, he's been healed. He's no longer a lame person. He's able to walk. It says that he leaped in that moment, rejoicing and praising God. And he's, he's there. He's, he's clung on to Peter and John, rejoicing in what God has done you see the time of worship has ended the time of worship has ended in that moment the lame man is no longer lame he's praising God the miracle has taken place the powerful name of Jesus has healed this man and he's praising God and he's drawn a lot of attention to himself A lot of people are there looking around, figuring out what is going on. In his rejoicing and clinging to Peter and John, he's doing this. And people, as Scripture tells us, are utterly astounded. They're utterly astounded. And they ran together to him. Can you imagine the attitude of the people in that moment? They've seen this lame beggar day after day after day. As they go into the temple for the time of worship, they've seen him over and over and over, ask for alms. They've seen him and they know this is the guy that's been carried over and over and over to the beautiful gate day after day. In fact, we, just, we discussed for a moment there last week the description of the beautiful gate. It truly was gorgeous. And, and this man being there by the gate, it was an obvious thing that people would see as they walked by. After they are utterly astounded and they see that this man is now able to walk, it says that they ran to the portico that's called Solomon's. Now this is in the area of the temple. Excuse me, got a frog in my throat. This is an area that was just left of the beautiful gate. So if you were looking at the beautiful gate, it's there just to the left. And it's kind of a natural place of which you would be heading after you finished your time of worship. And so they're heading in that direction and a crowd has followed a big crowd is starting to follow them and so they're, they're trying to figure out and understand what on earth has happened what is all the commotion about and they're seeing this man and they're marveling they're wandering they're like they're wondering they're like what in the world happened to this man which leads us into verse 12 and when Peter saw it, saw it he addressed the people men of Israel he addresses them the same way in which he does at the beginning of his sermon in chapter 2. He says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He's looking at me he's like, why are you shocked? Why are you, are, are you caught off guard by this? It is not by our own power that this has happened. It is not because of us that this has happened. It's almost as if he's trying to help them understand, just a little deeper, something that they should already know. You see, they should have known. Because at the beginning of verse 13, I'll read it to you in a minute, but he references these names of God. And in doing so, it's his way of pointing to them, hello, this is God Almighty that has done this work. You know this God. You know him powerfully. He makes sure to not take the glory for what he's done. He says, as though by our own power or piety that we have made him walk. Peter's making it clear. Don't look at us. We didn't do anything. It is by God that this has happened. Look at verse 13. Peter continues and he says, the God of Abraham... The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. As I said a moment ago, Peter is quoting these different names of God. And for the people of Israel, the moment they hear these names, it should take them back. It should help them to understand who Peter is referring to. It should take them back, knowing the Scriptures. Because remember, this is the Old Testament. I mean, this is the New Testament being lived out in this moment. So the New Testament hasn't been written yet. They only know the Old Testament as the Scriptures. And for many of them, they, they remember and they can recall, wait a minute, hearing those names. That takes me back to the Exodus account. That takes me back to the book of Exodus. One of the things specifically in Exodus 3.6 God is approaching Moses there at the burning bush, through the burning bush. And he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. See, I I love when we see in Scripture how Scripture points back to Scripture. Here in this New Testament account, we read that Peter is making this reference of these different names. And it's the exact same thing that God said to Moses there at the burning bush. For the people listening, this is a wake-up moment. This is a moment for them to, to, to just take their ears and really zone in and pay attention to what Peter's saying. It's not because of me. It's not because of John. It's because of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now back in verse 13, I'll read it again to you. After he says those names, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Let's stop there. When he says there that he glorified his servant Jesus. Peter's wanting to tie together the, the understanding of what he's trying to tell the people here. He's wanting them to know, the God that you know, from that account with Moses, the names that I just gave to you, he is the one that glorified his son, Jesus. You know Jesus. The one who you recently had killed. The one that you recently sent to Calvary's cross. Yeah, that Jesus. Yeah, he's not dead. He's risen. He's defeated the grave. It is because of him that we can even do what we're doing here in this moment. He also says whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Peter's laying it on thick here. He's laying it on thick. He's drawing them to the reality of what their sin has done. Their sin sent Jesus to the cross where he would suffer. Now we all... Here in this place, watching online, if you're listening to this at some point down the road, we all can't hear that and get all bowed up and say, See that right there, they sent Jesus to the cross. Their sin did that. No 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 no, brothers and sisters, our sin did that. Our sin sent Jesus to the cross. Here in this moment, Peter is preaching to them and teaching to them. But brothers and sisters, we can put ourselves there in that moment. Because our sin, my sin, although I wasn't thought of, my parents hadn't been born yet, my grandparents hadn't been born yet, decades, decades, centuries hadn't passed yet. I wasn't a thought on anybody's radar except for God's. And yet Jesus still went to the cross to die for me. And he did so because of my sin that separated me from God. And he did the same for you and your sin that separated you from God. Peter's way of describing God's exaltation of Jesus after his humiliation and his death, it ties into what the prophet Isaiah talks about in his book. Now, I want you, if you're taking notes or even if you're not, just jot this down. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I want you to take the time and go and reference this. Write down Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Because those passages there point to the suffering servant, King Jesus. And the fact that it was the will of God, don't miss this, the will of God to crush Jesus there on the cross. It was the will of God to crush His only begotten Son. It was the will of God to have Jesus beaten, flogged, mocked, nailed to the cross, and then God's wrath poured out on him in our place so that we wouldn't suffer. By doing so, it provides salvation. Provide salvation to all who would repent and believe. Peter reminds them here in this moment that Pilate, a Gentile, Pilate saw no fault in Jesus and he was willing to release them. Do you remember that from the the crucifixion account? Right before Jesus is sentenced to go to the cross to die, Pilate is standing there and he's like, I see no fault in this man. Why do you want him killed? Why do you want him sentenced to death? It makes no sense to pilot there in that moment. Why? Look at 14 and 15. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. 15. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, to this We are witnesses. See, Peter continues and he calls them out for their sin, as he's been doing. And when given the opportunity to have Jesus released, he's reminding them, you guys had the opportunity to do that, and yet you asked for Barabbas instead. You asked for a murderer, one that deserved the punishment that was coming to him. You asked for him and you said, crucify him to Jesus. Peter declares there that they killed, as he says, the author of life. In other places of the New Testament, that phrasing there, that word that's used there in the Greek, it refers to the terms leader or founder. The message is clear. Jesus, whom John in his prologue at the beginning of John 1 talks about, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, referring to Jesus. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the one who gives life in that moment when he's sentenced to the cross. They killed, or so they thought, the one who gives life, but God. But God raised him from the dead. And as Peter says, we are witnesses. No other religion out there can point to a statement like that. Because no other religion with their God, little g, can rightly proclaim that their God is alive today. Because they took the form of a man, and they lived a life, and they died, and that's it. Yet Jesus dies, resurrects to new life, and the apostles witness his resurrected body. Which Peter says... We are witnesses. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've seen his hands with the scars. Peter lays down the fact to them that none of them saw coming. Basically, yeah, you guys left him for dead. But after dying on the cross, he resurrected. He's alive! He's alive. We've seen Him. We've watched Him ascend into heaven. Verse 16. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health In the presence of you all, Peter then declares that it is by that man's name, by the name of Jesus and by faith in that name that this lame man was made strong and therefore is standing before you, jumping around, praising God. It is by the name of Jesus and faith in that man's name that this took place. It says, whose faith in this. Now we have to ask the question, whose faith is Peter referring to? Is Peter referring to by faith of the man that's been healed? Or is Peter maybe referring to himself? By faith in the name, Peter had to show faith. What is Peter saying there? Well, if we look, it's a little bit of both. You see, it was by faith that Peter looked at the man and said, look at us. And he says, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you get up and walk. Peter trusted that by just saying that statement, he had the faith to know that God would heal that man. And for the lame man, sitting there, hearing that, being looked at by Peter and John, and hearing those words, He had to have the faith to trust to stand up. He had to have faith to believe, wait a minute, there's power in this name, I need to stand up. And he had had to have that moment of, of clarity from Peter and John, grabbing him by the hand and helping him to his feet. But it is by faith. He stood to his feet. And when he began to see what was happening, he responded with praise to God. Remember from last week, Acts chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you've seen your faith on display, you've seen God move. And it brought you to a place where you're just like, man, I just want to praise the Lord right now. I just want to praise the Lord right now for what he has done. I remember in, in, in our life, since Miranda and I have been married, there was a time that was very, very difficult in the first few years of our marriage because we wanted to be parents and it was a very difficult process to try to become a parent we had many struggles but I remember sitting in the hospital right after Adeline had been delivered and they handed Adeline to me and I'm looking at my daughter and I and they had to finish with Miranda. And, and so they took me into another room with her, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking in her eyes. And it took everything in my power not to just stand up and start dancing. We trusted that the Lord would give us a child. And I know for many of that doesn't always happen. I'm being sympathetic to that. I'm just giving you a moment where in our marriage where it was difficult... We trusted, we we believed that God would give us a child, and we had that child, and in that moment, I saw the faithfulness of God in my arms, and it just brought me to my knees in praise and worship to God for what he had done. I've had the same thing happen in my life where there's been a friend of mine who calls me that says, hey, I'm reading in my Bible. I'm trying to understand the stuff, but I'm not getting it. And we sit on the phone for the next 30 minutes, and I share the gospel, and in that moment, God saves his soul. Have you been there? Have you been there in the moment where, by faith, from hearing the word, you've seen someone that you love and you care for, that you've been praying for and begging God to save them, you've seen them be saved? It's a moment that you just want to run laps and praise God for what he's done. Praise God that the gospel is good news. Secondly, the gospel calls sinners to repentance. The gospel calls sinners to repentance. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Peter lays out to them so perfectly for some of them to hear, and he follows up what he says about them acting in ignorance. How did they act in ignorance? If they were acting in ignorance, should they be held guilty for their sin? I mean, I think that's a reasonable question to ask. If they're acting in ignorance, they don't know any better. How are they guilty for their sin? How is it that their sin sent Jesus to do this? Ignorance is not a pardon for sin. Ignorance is not a pardon for sin. They specifically called for the execution of a sinless man. Their sin is the reason why Jesus died. But remember the beauty of the gospel on display after Jesus has already been beaten, flocked, mocked, spat upon, and nailed to the cross. And remember, when he's on the cross and he's hanging there, the cross has already been stumped into the ground. He's literally having to push up to get breath. To breathe. And he looks out over the people just as Luke writes in twenty three thirty four. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then they cast lots and they divided his garments. Now, Yes, that is commonly believed there in that moment, that it's a reference to the Roman executioners that are there. But the truth of the statement, and it's still very fitting for the people that are listening to Peter to hear this, but it's also very fitting for each of us to hear this. Jesus is asking the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father, for their ignorance. Forgive them, Father, even though they said, crucify me. Forgive them, Father, even though they mocked me and they're literally down there casting lots from my garments. Forgive the one, Father, who took the cat of nine tails and flogged me and whipped me with it. Forgive them, Father, despite their sin. These people had no clue that Jesus was the Son of God, sent from heaven on their behalf. Regardless, their sin is still what put Jesus there. Our sin is still what put Jesus there. Even those religious leaders, remember Peter said the rulers, even those religious leaders, they knew it all up here. They'd gone through the system. They memorized the scriptures. They were the religious leaders, and they're the ones that headed the whole party to say, this guy's got to get out of here. We got to kill him. Verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer has thus been fulfilled. God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that Jesus would come, that he would suffer, that he would die. These prophecies were written long before. And here in this moment, Peter reminds them that Jesus' recent death and resurrection were all a part of God's plan established long before. It was all part of God's plan. God said that Christ would suffer. I referenced the suffering earlier. When you go and you read Isaiah 52 and 53, it points to what Jesus had to go through. That's why it's commonly referred to as the suffering servant. He had to do that, he had to go through it all. The prophecies pointed directly to Calvary, the prophecies pointed directly to an empty tomb, and they were all fulfilled. You see, this is why when Jesus is there on the cross and he's hanging there and he's suffering, after the time had come, the wrath of God had been poured out on him, the Father had turned his face from his Son as he did that. Jesus then cries out, It is finished. It is finished. God's way of redemption is now made possible. Christ has paid the price. And Peter's declaring that the Scriptures have been fulfilled. We remember, you've heard me reference this time and time again, Jesus Himself in Matthew 5, 17 says, Do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus in his earthly ministry was saying, these guys said this about the coming Messiah. You are looking at him in the flesh. I have come to fulfill them. I've not come to destroy them. I am the fulfillment. And now that Peter has preached the good news of the gospel and declared this ignorance of the people, he's pointing to this fulfillment. And we'll we'll look at this more in just a few minutes with the last point. But look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter now shifts the focus on the way in which one can be redeemed, and that is by first repenting and turning from their sins. By repenting of their sins and confessing Christ as Lord, their sins are blotted out. Scripture says that it's as far as God remembers them; He doesn't. It's as far as from the east is from the west. They are no more in the eyes of God for any who would repent and believe. But what about this that I did? It's okay, my child. You've been forgiven. What about that grieving that you have in your soul for something that you did years and years ago that you just can't shake? Christ's precious blood poured out for you in your place covers that. Let it go. You've been redeemed. But Peter says there to repent. And here I am as a minister of the gospel, standing before you and preaching to a camera that is going all over Facebook and online. And in 2021, as a minister of the gospel, I'm saying that a person that sins is separated from God. And the only way for them to be redeemed is to repent. That is not a fun word to people in the way that they perceive things in 2021. But regardless of what the culture says, the word of God says that the only way that a person can be saved of their sin is to first acknowledge the fact that they are separated from God and repent of that sin. And so I say that to you to tell you this. It's not just the job of the pastor to tell our brothers and sisters that we love and we care for that are not Christians, that their sin separates them from God. It's the job of all of us. In a loving, Christ-honoring way, as God gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with our loved ones and the people that we care for and the people that God has placed in our life, we tell them, I have been redeemed I was first a sinner separated from God. And here's the reality, bro. You are too. You're a sinner separated from God. And the only way that you can experience salvation through the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out on you, his defeat of sin and death and his resurrection is to understand your sin separates you from God. And therefore you need to repent. You need to do a 180 and get away from it. Because the beauty of the gospel, as I said, is that Jesus in his death on the cross, it cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. When God looks on a redeemed person, he sees Christ's righteousness that covers us. That is a thanks be to God moment, church, because here's the reality. If God looked on us without Christ's righteousness, all he sees on our best day is filthy rags. Because of how tarnished we are because of our sin. Verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Stop there for a minute. Peter points to the times of refreshing that may come from the presence of the Lord. Those of us who are redeemed can recognize this feeling, can we not? Can we not recognize that that moment, that feeling of refreshing in our lives? If you are a Christian and you have been saved by God because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to walk around with the guilt and shame of your sin any longer. I referenced that a minute ago. You've been redeemed. You feel that refreshing. You know because of what God has done for you, you have the promise of eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. You know that you have the Lord with you always because what? The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. The helper that when Jesus ascended and he said the helper will come for you, go and wait. Wait. The helper came to them. And for every one of us, when we repent of our sins and confess Christ, the helper comes and he indwells us. And so when the moments of temptations arise, Scripture tells us. The moment of temptation arises no matter what it may be. God provides the way out of that temptation in that moment. He provides the way we have to be obedient to walk through it. But here's the thing, the helper, the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. When the time comes and we don't see that way out and we give in to sin, he convicts us. He convicts us of the sin that we've committed. And it should draw us to our knees to say, Father, forgive me. I know I'm redeemed. I know that I'm saved. But Lord, I need to confess this before you. What does Jesus say in the model prayer? He continually reminds us that every day we would go before the Father and ask to forgive us our sins. It's this reminder to us, this discipline, if you will, that as the moments come in your life and you have sin, and we will all have sin every day, we have sin, do we not? If you don't sin every day, give me a call. Like, I need to know what you're doing. We all, every day, have sin in our life, whether it's a thought, whether it's an action, whether it's a word that we speak. We all battle sin, but we must confess it before God. We must give it to him, lay it at his feet, as I said at the beginning of the gathering. Verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter points to Jesus' momentary ascension until the time of Jesus' return. Jesus has left. He's ascended into heaven. But guess what? He's coming back. He's not going to just stay up there at the right hand of God and just say, well, forget them. No, there's a day where he is going to return. There's a day where he's going to restore things to the way in which they should have been prior to the fall. The way that they were prior to Adam and Eve sitting against God and sin coming into this world. There's a day coming, folks, where there is no more sin. There is a day coming where Jesus will come back. He will return. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. We will not experience the sting of death again. We will not experience horrible viruses again. We will not experience pain because the new heavens and the new earth will be established. And we will be in the presence of God. And we will be worshiping Him over and over and over. And these light momentary afflictions that we face right now will be gone. There are many things in my own life personally that I can't wait for. That I pray to God that I will be able to see. I continually pray for the salvation of my kids and I will be able to see them confess Christ as Lord one day. I want to be able to graduate from my seminary. I want to be able to watch my kids grow up and get married and be a grandfather one day. There are many things that I want to still see happen in this life, but I tell you one thing when this life is over for me, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. I can't wait. And until that day comes, while God still has breath in my lungs and while he still has breath in your lungs, and I don't care how old you are, if you still have breath in your lungs despite your age, God can and will use you for the glory of his name and prayerfully for the kingdom of God to advance. If there's anything that I've said in this message and you've already forgotten it, please remember that part right there. Despite your age and despite how long you think you still have left, you still have breath in your lungs to be used by God for his glory and prayerfully the advancement of the kingdom. Jesus will return. He will restore all things to himself the way that God originally designed them to be. Thanks be to God for that. I referenced to you earlier about Jesus wiping every tear. God Almighty doing this powerful work. Listen as I read Revelation 21, 1 through 4 to you. Then I saw, picture this in your minds, church. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, praise God. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, our great God, we long for that day. The last thing we see in this passage is that the gospel is the scriptures fulfilled. As I was reading to you there in those verses a few moments ago, I said that Peter comes back to this and and look and see what he does. Verse 22 and verse 23. I'll read 22 first. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Peter here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 15 through 19. I'll say it again if you're writing it down. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19 is what Peter is quoting from as he's quoting what Moses said there. Moses himself and we know just how powerfully God used Moses. Even Moses, remember, in that moment when God's telling him that he's going to be used, Moses is like, "I can't even speak. I, I can't speak clearly. Yet you want to use me." And look what God did with Moses. Moses looked forward to the day of Christ, when he prophesied of Christ coming from that passage in Deuteronomy 15 or 18. Deuteronomy 18. In the prophecy, Moses is saying that all should listen to the commands of Jesus and those who do not will be destroyed, will be cut off, will be separated from God. Now listen to 23. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. This is a major verse. This is a verse of reality for us. It's one that we must see as a sobering reality. Because the people that we love and we care for, and this is not a guilt statement. The people that we love and we care for, our neighbors, our friends, our roommates, our coworkers, our friends, our family. Any of those that we love and care for that do not repent of their sin, that reject Christ, they will be separated for all eternity. See, the reality for us in here that are Christians, that are Christ followers, we look ahead to eternity as I talked about a moment ago, and we look at it through the lens of, man, I can't wait. Because for all eternity, I will be in the presence of God. God. This race that I've run in this life, it will be worth it when I get to that finish line. But for those of us that know people that are not Christians, if their life were to end right now, they go to eternity. But it's an eternity separated from God. It's an eternity that will be in hell that will be eventually a a gnashing of teeth in pain. Recognized pain. I said it's not a guilt statement. But that fact alone should motivate us. Should remind us of what we have. And remind us to proclaim it to them. To share it with them. And remember, remember, remember. Take the weight off of your shoulders. It is not your responsibility for them to come to Christ. It is your responsibility to boldly proclaim the gospel every time you get the opportunity. As God leads you and directs you. Verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Peter declares how the prophetic testimony of Christ which Moses started was also being carried on with Samuel and the prophets who followed him. Now, they each and every one of those prophets very specifically point to Jesus in the way in which they were talking like Moses did. Not necessarily, but look at Samuel, for example. Samuel himself. He would be the one that would go and do what? He would anoint David as king. Brian Vickers in his commentary says... Every promise of coming salvation and every warning for rejecting God finds its endpoint in Jesus. I think that's such a profound statement. Every promise of coming salvation and every warning for rejecting God finds its endpoint in Jesus. As I said, Samuel goes and he anoints David as king. And he spoke to the establishment of his kingdom. And he made the prophetic promise to David that would later be fulfilled in Jesus through the Davidic line. 25, we're almost done. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter concludes his sermon here declaring that the people listening were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. This is pointing to the covenantal promise that God made with Abraham. Remember the old song, Father Abraham many sons remember that come on I got some head nods good the promise was made to Abraham that the descendants would come that he would be a father of many nations Christ Jesus fulfilled that by dying on the cross providing the way for any who would repent and believe Jews and Greek Jews and Gentiles Peter himself quotes in Genesis 22:18 that in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There in that moment of 25 Peter is pointing to that promise that God made with Abraham. Look at verse 26. God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That promise of blessing is referenced there in verse 26. Peter tells the people that God has raised his son and sent him to them first and in doing so he will bless everyone who turns from their wickedness providing salvation. Peter in this moment has proclaimed good news. That's why I titled the sermon Good News Proclaimed. Remember the gospel is good news. The gospel calls sinners to repentance and the gospel is scriptures fulfilled. The beauty of all of this reality is is offered to each of us today. And if you have never received the beautiful gift of salvation, today may be the day of salvation for you. I don't know. But I do know that if God is moving and God is, is calling you, that today may be a great day of that. Today would be the best day for you to do that because you would recognize your sin, recognize that it separates you from God, recognize that the cross where Jesus died, he died for your sin. He died a death that you should have died. And he didn't just die, he resurrected on the third day. So today is a day of salvation for you. I want to rejoice with you. I want to pray with you. I want to help you in that. So the band will come forward in a moment. After I pray, I'll be down here worshiping along with you. And I'll be glad to speak with you and talk with you. We can talk afterwards, whatever is best for you. But I want to ask you, if you've already received the gift of salvation, if you've already received this, you know Christ Jesus as Lord, I just want to ask the same question that I normally do. What are you doing with it? Are we just taking consumer Christianity and just, I'm saved, I'm good, I'll wait till next week when I pick up my Bible again and go, or are we taking this, taking this Bible, which many people right now in Afghanistan, for example, are being killed over, that we freely get to have here in this country? Are you taking it? Are you spending time with the Father daily through it in prayer? And as the Lord gives you opportunities, are you boldly proclaiming the gospel? Are we just like the lame beggar from last week? We've been redeemed. We've been healed. Are we going about in our daily lives standing, proclaiming the good news, dancing, leaping, letting the world around us know and see The good news. I don't know what God is speaking to you through this. But I know one thing. His word doesn't return void. And so here in this moment, you may not feel like the the points are matching up. You're trying to figure it all out. I pray that you will ask God to make it clear to you. And when he makes it clear to you, whatever it is, that you would walk in obedience to him with it. Father God in heaven, Lord. Hallowed be your name. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the example that we see of the early church empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news as Peter has done in the passage we saw today. We are so thankful and grateful to you, God, that you have provided salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You have willingly done that because of how good you are. You are a grace-filled, mercy-giving God. Despite our sin and our shame, Lord, you have paid the price for us, and we are so grateful, eternally grateful. Father, I pray over every person within the sound of my voice, whether they're physically here or listening online. Lord, as you have spoken during this time, Father, Lord, I pray that you would reveal the things that need to be revealed to each of us. Lord, that we would see what you are doing in our life. Lord, that we would not just put up a wall to it and ignore you, Lord, but that we would be obedient to you. That we would be obedient to what you are saying to us. And to take the next steps, whatever those may be, Father. Lord, I pray above all things, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray, Lord, that you would speak. I pray that we would listen. Have your way in us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.